Good morning, everyone, and welcome to St. Luke's Sunday Forum. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you my dear friend and amazing thinker, writer, teacher, priest, Barbara Brown Taylor. But before I say hello to her, let me just say again that our theme for these December Sundays is wonder. I actually don't know exactly why I'm so attracted to this word. And I think Barbara is going to help me understand that as she and I talk about the power of wonder, particularly at this particular point in the both the liturgical year and also the year leading up to the winter solstice. But for right now, let me just ask you all to greet and say hello to my friend, wonderful Barbara Brown Taylor. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much. My old, yeah, we are old friends in every sense of the word. <laughs> we indeed are. We indeed are. We should go ahead and put that out there. So I was a uh, kind of, as they call it, a late vocation. I had been this Baptist preacher and had been a dean of students at Mercer University in Macon and came to Candler. And I think you had returned from Yale and you were working at Candler, weren't you? Right. Right. And we became fast buddies there. It was really fun to be around you. So I remember it well. And then I had you. Um, then I had you preach at St. Mark's Dalton when I was mm -hmm. there. And we may talk about that Sunday. I, I'll never forget something that happened that Sunday. And then I left and went to Mississippi and California, and now have come back to Georgia. And it's so nice to have this reunion with friendship you, you and I have. So welcome. Thank you. And we were never at St. Luke's together, but we both spent time there as well. Correct. You were there with Tom Bowers. Right. And I My came- cigar smoking rector, yeah. That's right, yeah, indeed. So um, you are our third of three guests to talk about wonder. Greg Ellison talked about uh, his own perspective and also the life of Howard Thurman. And I hope you and I can touch on Howard Thurman as well today. And then, Last Sunday was Lois Reitzes, and she was just amazingly full of wonder, talking about six wondrous interviews she had had during the pandemic. Oh. And now we get to explore this, and I, th this has just gotten me weirded out. But this morning, I was reading my devotions, and I'm going to read you something from Abraham Heschel about wonder. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but not everybody is. And so pardon me for reading. And this is about when he was about to die in 1972. And he had suffered a near fatal heart attack. Oh, by the way, I should never assume that everybody knows who he is. His claim to fame in my life, in my mind, is that he was a great professor, both of mysticism and social justice, and that he walked with Martin Luther King across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and said that I felt that my feet were praying, I think he said, or my legs were praying. So amazing guy. And so back to this time, when he had suffered a near fatal heart attack, he never fully recovered. A dear friend visited him and Heschel said to him, only able to whisper, Sam, when I regained consciousness, my first feeling was not of despair or anger. I felt only gratitude to God for my life, for every moment I had lived. I was ready to depart. Take me, O Lord, I thought. 
I've seen so many miracles in my lifetime. Exhausted by the effort to just say that, Heschel paused and then added, that is what I meant when I wrote in the preface to his book of Yiddish poems. I did not ask for success. I asked for wonder. And you gave it to me. Mm. Now, Barbara, what did he mean? Not to ask for success, but to ask for wonder. What is it to ask for wonder? What is the wonder you're asking for? What does that mean? I don't pretend to be smart enough to read his mind, but when I ask for wonder, I consent to be booted in the butt and to be confounded and to be um, overturned. But there's something about the word wonder that means, and then put right again, but put different. You know, to it, it's like being turned upside down and twirled around, and then to recover my my balance and my eyesight. But I see differently after that. I, I like to think of Advent as the the season of beholding. You know, that there's a language of belief with people interested in spirit and there's the language of beholding and the beholding especially scripturally was all about stuff that was unimaginable i mean it, it was wondrous and it was upsetting and it was empire toppling but you know behold i know it's probably just like a first century figure of speech but it seems to me that's what wonder is all about all you can say is behold <laughs> when wow. when that strikes you but but you know, given his life, because he was an early scholar of mysticism, but that got disapproved of quickly. He dropped that pretty fast after his early book on that. So, so he knew that wonder would also draw him out past respectability and success in any usual sense of the word. And now look how many people know who he is. Backdoor. Thanks for uh, the word behold. I think I'll pay it more attention to that through the recitation of the story in these next few weeks. It probably now, means what the hell is that in exactly. first century power? It probably means what the hell is that? Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Now, the weirdness has not stopped today. Mm -hmm. So I was talking with um, a couple from my parish in Pasadena about some health challenges and they were giving me an update about the eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. And of course, they've been homeschooling since COVID. Yeah. And the other day they asked her, um, why don't we uh, uh, name our school? What is the school you've been in here in the living room? And she says, the name I want to give the school is Wonder Lab. That's so good. Wonder Lab. And I thought, my, some dots are really getting connected here today with some, mm -hmm. what we'll later call logos energies. That phrase, that wonderful phrase you put into that wonderful Howard Thurman piece. Um, nevertheless, it just seems, Barbara, that your life has been and your writings are uh, reports on your life being a wonder lab. <laughs> um, I like to, I just like to think, I, I look for that there are moments in your sermons, it seems to me, and we'll be going along 
and you'll be giving us new information, yeah. But then it turns from new information to wonder. And it's like, whoa, this sermon just took a turn. I didn't expect, or this book just took, took a turn. Mm -hmm. And I just want to register that um, with you about the impact your works have on me. And let's jump into them. Um, and it just recurred to me that I forgot to say you're an Episcopal priest. Um, you. you are uh, the writer of 15 books in addition to contributions to other books. And also you are for, uh, are you an active professor right now or have you retired from that and you're, okay. But you, for what, 20 years you were a college professor? Classroom? 20 years. I was, yes, I was a professor for longer than I was a parish priest. Who knew? wonder how that happened exactly exactly but you um but your wonderful book holy envy about uh interreligion interfaith interspiritual matters um made me cry uh really wonderful um and i don't know why i keep having this grandiose idea probably because i haven't done enough therapy is that if i ever were called if I ever, if I ever were called on to write the next Bible, um, a passage that would definitely be in it, along with a whole bunch of Thomas Merton, Martin Luther King, Dorothy Day, Julian of Norwich, would be from the Luminous Web. And I want to kind of use as a structure of this conversation, uh, the word wonder and, and for Luminous Web, it's wonder and science and faith. Um, some other things, wonder and interfaith, like holy envy. Wonder and being in the world, um, your books, Altering the World and Leaving Church. Uh, wonder and darkness, so I want to talk about that today a little bit, uh, learning to walk in the dark. And then wonder and mysticism with Howard Thurman. But let's go back to Luminous Web. Now, if you don't mind turning to that passage, um, I want to talk about wonder and science and faith in your life. And there's a paragraph that starts in Sunday school. And I would love for you to read a couple of three uh, sentences there and then shift over to the paragraph that starts this shift in my image of God. So do you mind doing a little lecturing for us please here we go All right. in Sunday school I learned to think of God as a very old white bearded man on a throne who stood above creation and occasionally stirred it with a stick when I am dreaming quantum dreams what I see is an infinite web of relationship flung across the vastness of space like a luminous net it's made of energy, not thread. As I look, I can see light moving through it as a pulse moves through veins. And now I'll switch. The shift in my image of God is so radical that calling God she seems minor by comparison. It's not a matter of my sudden conversion to pantheism, of which I'm often accused, since that belief system makes no provision for a God beyond creation, but I do plead guilty to panentheism, which understands God to be both transcendent and imminent. Mm -hmm. 
there's an Advent thing for you, that's not in the book. As Joseph Campbell once asked, what if the universe is not merely the product of God, but also the manifestation of God, a Eucharistic planet on which we've been invited to live? Is that it? That's it. I know that um, we put on something that's really important to me because I want to stop and breathe. I mean, mm -hmm. those, those passages make me want to stop and breathe. And I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry you put it away because I am going to ask for one more reading. And it's, yep. the, it's the paragraph before the shift in my image of God. It starts at this point in my thinking. Okay. All right. At this point in my thinking, it's not enough for me to proclaim that God is responsible for all this unity. Instead, I want to proclaim that God is the unity, the very energy, the very intelligence, the very elegance and passion that make it all go. This is the God who is not somewhere, but everywhere. The God who may be prayed to in all directions at once. This is also the God beyond all directions who will still be here wherever here means when the universe either dissipates into dust or swallows itself up again. Paul Tillich's name for this divine reality was the ground of all being. The only thing I can think of that's better than that is the name God revealed to Moses, I am who I am. So that is ministry to me. Um, as someone who's still working on reconstructing the deconstruction of a toxic religious narrative given in fundamentalistic South Georgia. When I read that, that page, it's like somebody's just hooked me up to um, a ventilator. Uh, an oxygen source. So that's powerful for me, but I would love to know what happened in your being when you came upon that epiphany. Because I think it's wondrous. Do you mind? No, no, I don't mind. Like anything really good, it, it evades language, right? So, so this is a very tiny book from which I just read uh, and and that gets straight to the point, which is one thing that happened with this epiphany is I didn't hear it reflected in the prayers I said in church, you know, even in the Episcopal Church, which I chose as a young adult and have no desire ever to leave except in a casket. My beloved church, there's a Eucharistic prayer with a little bit of cosmos in it, but for the most part, it was an old man on a throne, you know, in, in the language. So I became disenfranchised from the traditional language you know, of a very friendly, open tradition. Uh, and then it got, it got interesting and difficult to pray because so many of the prayers I had been taught alone now, not corporate prayers, but alone, were prayers that began, oh, almighty father, or, you know, oh, I mean, you know, that, that one, whether you're praying in public or by yourself, how, do, how does one begin to yeah. address this luminous web and then it can sound so impersonal because yeah. the beauty you know of the old one on the throne is the humanity of that the eminence of of a familiar image so so mostly it's left me groping for language and 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 finding it hard when people say what do you mean when you say god or or, or give me your dominant image of god they're in for a long sit 
when they ask me that question as you just learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you're ready, I'd love to talk a little bit about darkness, wonder and darkness. I love, I love it when you take us there. When I, I heard you in a speech recently at an Ilia Delio conference, and you generously took us there. And I'd love, if you don't mind, to take us there again. We are close to the winter solstice, holy time. When there's supposed to be some kind of Christmas star phenomenon because of Jupiter, but I'm not prepared to speak of that because I just read it today, but apparently it's going to be a really wonderful solstice in terms of its closeness to the Christmas season. So because you're leading me back through things I've written, what occurs to me is when I when I got into the science and religion material, it, it robbed me of my, my kind of certain traditional language for describing and imagining God. When I decided to explore darkness, that disturbed you know my certainty that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And I thought, phooey, I mean, that can't be right. That's a, from the, uh, the first letter of John. So in both cases so far, it was a rug I willingly had pulled out from underneath me. I don't think you can pull a rug out from under yourself, can you? I don't think so. But but that it just has always been life-giving to me when that happens. It's it's scary as hell also. But um but that one, you know, for anyone who's taken a look at learning to walk in the dark, that was very linked to again the imminence of living in the country where my fears of the dark needed to be revised because I brought city fears with me and they were relevant in the city. Um, but to begin to think about darkness starting with the physical reality and then really realizing how connected that is to the spiritual reality, the, the psychological reality, you know, that the inner and the outer. We'll talk about energy more later, but the inner energy and the outer energy are so close, so connected. So when I moved to a place where darkness was really maternal, the darkness here is very sweet and loving to me. I just found it wasn't out to bite me. It wasn't out to sting me or throw me off a cliff. It was here to slow me down and invite me to use my other senses when my vision was not very helpful and it helped me meet all the night creatures who come out after I go to bed so so it was full of wonder but that was enabled by a different you know place I physically lived so but I think people get that on camping trips they get it on hikes they get it all over the place if if they don't immediately and automatically run from whatever darkness means to them and to take us on the adventure of going from that wonder of darkness to thinking that there is darkness in God, that God is mm -hmm. darkness. God is mm -hmm. not just all light. Mm -hmm. what was and that that's where, well, that's where my tradition came in very handy because, you know, like a complete Bible nerd, which I am, I had to sit there with my old 
concordance, you know, and just go through every mention of dark and darkness in Hebrew and Greek in both testaments. And what I found was while the the surface verbiage about God is all light and and in him there is no darkness at all, the narratives told a completely different story. All the good stuff happens in the dark, all the good stuff. It's hard to think of anything. I mean, if you'll count dark clouds like transfiguration and and dark things like tombs and you know then all the good stuff happens in the dark so so it helped hugely way back at the beginning in exodus to find god making an appointment with moses in a dark cloud and and that hebrew word just became fascinating i found out it's used only for that dark cloud of god and then you flip into the wilderness that the Moses leads the people into, well, they're already in it. And there's a pillar of light and a pillar of darkness, right? So you've got then both clouds, the light cloud and the dark cloud. But guess what? That's just, you know, your pixels. I mean, the, the divine is is the same, yeah. just manifesting differently. So, so scripture was really helpful to me there. When Hope and I drove from California back to the East Coast, we had this experience of a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now, tell me about that. I brought about I brought a lot of imagination to that, Barbara. I'm going to hear <laughs> based, about it. <laughs> based in mind, but I just looked up and I thought, wow! And it was in the middle of the country when we were crossing over. Um, it was it was powerful. I thought I thought about that, but I love. Jacob wrestling all night long, and my, my. So, mm -hmm. but thank you for that, because a lot of us live in darkness. A mm -hmm. lot of us carry darkness within us. And I think your invitation in that book and in your other writings since then are to look for the wonder that the presence of the divine in the midst of that with a lot of competence you have well and i have a i mean i do have a wish that people think about what they mean when they say darkness carry a lot of darkness inside well wait i could say i carry a lot of melancholy i could uh -huh. say i carry a lot of grief I could say I carry a lot of fear. I could say I carry a sense of scarcity inside me, but but to push beyond darkness, because that's one huge sticky word. And I think it helps us to to be curious, to wonder what we mean when we use the word, because otherwise I think too many physically dark things get slandered all the way from dark, darker human beings um, to dark matter, <laughs> you know, yeah. dark chocolate and dark beer might might slip by, but but I I do think it's lazy simply yeah. to speak of being in a dark place or having or being in a dark mood. I think to explore that a little more and to be more curious about it is spiritually helpful to us. Yeah, yeah. I love that phrase. Not to be lazy, but to go where it is spiritually helpful to go. Mm -hmm. which is in outside convention. I love, let me just asterisk right now. I love when you analyze the, the Howard Thurman poem. We will get to this. I'm just announcing it right now. We'll come back to that. I, I think I'll remember. I just loved your saying that 
it had been easy for you to feel that you had been invited into some con some religious conventionalities, and then you came and you came to the stillness, the becoming stillness, and then you got free to go on and talk about. It. But we'll come back to that because before that, um, I think I'm looking at the time. I would like to go to your newest book, Always a Guest. And um, I wrote you and told you which was my favorite sermon. And you kind of laughed and said, oh, I'm not surprised that you had bacon. Yeah. I and, said, it takes a preacher to love a preacher. That's what I said. Exactly. Exactly. It is such a great sermon. It is chapter 16, Divine Evolution. Mm -hmm. And let me say one, but I, I do want you to read from it. But I love the fact, Barbara, that you said, this is, this is what I took home. You know, you can tell the Christmas story by dressing kids up in bathrobes, etc. And that is really cool. And we're going to do it, you know, in very special ways during the pandemic next week at St. Luke's. And I've been in a million of those, and I've directed a million of those. And there is another way to tell the story. And now this is Ed Bacon um, digesting and metabolizing Barbara Brown Taylor. There's a way of telling it in terms of energy. Hmm. And um, do you want to correct any of that or, or kind of elaborate on that before we go to the passage that I'd like for you to read? No, I like being channeled. I do. There's one segue. There's a live nativity scene in Clarksville right now. And, and as I drove by and saw all these lively teenagers frozen in their poses, I thought how cool it would be to have a living nativity where Mary hands the baby to Joseph and said, will you hold him for a while? I am tired. And, and if, and if, you know, he took a nap, if they walked around, you know, if they played checkers, it would be so much fun to watch a live, live nativity scene where that young couple and their newborn act like real young couples and newborns. Wouldn't that be fun instead Absolutely. of frozen, frozen in the poses where Joseph has not a line he just it the dredge just say look strong <laughs> <laughs> every every man's kind of you know damn here we go again okay look strong exactly. but so okay i'm ready to go so now we'll talk about energy we'll leave those characters in there no i want to say one more thing about the characters because you've just given me a great idea this conversation okay. is going to air on the fourth sunday of advent and that uh -huh. afternoon at 3 30 we are in addition to having our pre-recorded Christmas pageant. That's a conventional Christmas pageant, which is gonna be delightful and the children are gonna be marvelous. And I don't know how many Marys and how many Josephs and you know how many shepherds we're gonna have. And we threw out the three wise men a long time ago. But we also, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget having in Pasadena, I had, I had chosen the baby Jesus who is the baby of two fathers. And so we had both fathers and another Mary in the thing. It was just so, it was so all saints Pasadena. We just absolutely loved it. And I think they've been doing weird things like that at St. Luke's too. But this afternoon, we're going to have a drive-through Christmas pageant 
and I think we counted six tableaus of the conventional, and I'm going to tell our CYF director, you know, it's fine to hand Jesus off to uh, jo Joseph or have Mary and Joseph play checkers for a while uh, because Barbara Brown Taylor thought it was a great idea. So <laughs> now, <laughs> so ready to go. you're ready to go, right? You're ready to go. Yep. Um, so like I think is the case with you, uh, John 1 is one of the most amazing passages of any literature wisdom ever, ever written. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, uh, whom uh, Richard Rohr says is the Christ. And I'm amazed how many people have told me how liberating it is to them to be able to look at somebody else and think that the Christ is in them. Of course, we're told in our baptismal covenant to seek Christ in all persons, no matter how heavily disguised um, that Christ may be. So if you don't mind, um, begin where you start talking about the transmission. The good news is that this transmission is built into the grants. What transition in 120? What is the transmission you're talking about? And then keep on, you can skip uh, the part about the shack and all that, but get on down to the energy work, the Logos-like energies coming forth, if you don't mind. Just those two paragraphs, just those two, yeah? Just for right now, we may, we may do more. This is just a brilliant, wonderful, take it home sermon. My ego's feeling good. All right. Good. The good news. The good news is that this transmission is built into the grand scheme of things, beginning in creation and stretching into the future further than any of us can see. If evolution isn't a bad word for you, you might think of it as divine evolution, the way the logos keeps coming into the world in different forms at different times, showing us as much of God as we can take in until the next time, when the form may be different, but the logos is the same. Now you can skip. Okay. The so Christians the traditionally, yeah. Christians traditionally draw the line there, and I should say with the the incarnation of the Logos in good. Jesus. The Logos has one name, and that name is Jesus. Along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, he completes the Trinity that's been part of baseline Christian belief from the earliest centuries of the Church. Yet the same scripture that informed the Trinity contains intriguing glimpses of other Logos-like energies coming forth from the mouth of God. And then I go on to talk about Torah and about um, wisdom, Lady Wisdom, who shows up on that the Sunday that First John comes comes up. You know, and because I taught world religions, I knew I was on thin ice here because this is what is this called progressive revelation, and there are Christians who are very armed against this because it might let Muhammad in. You know, it might let the Quran in, and so so I was sort of waiting for someone to call me out on that, so that you liked the sermon and didn't take offense at that. But but I was liberated by writing this sermon to think about what that means for the Logos energy of God to be pouring itself into the world forever, not limited to one form, you know, not limited to one DNA sequence or even a human manifestation, because Torah, you know, for Jews was that logos energy. So, so let me just it. 
let me just pause there. Um, I understood the transmission, which is a very powerful noun on this page, is actually this energy that allows us to do works that I do according to Jesus and even greater works than these. And then you've got at least these four basic ways in which the Logos um, type energy, like energy show up, uh, Torah, as you said, and then wisdom, Sophia, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Number one, that's just thrilling. I mean, I, <laughs> I want to say glory. I want to walk down the aisle and give my life to Jesus you know, for the millionth time. That's the good news for me. That's gospel. Mm. Mm. And then, Barbara, mm. to really skate out on the thin ice and say, we can't contain in our religious boundaries where these Logos-like energies are going to show up. Mm -hmm. Now that makes me want to stop and breathe deeply. Take that in. I got, a, I got a call from somebody the other day and he said, I've been listening to some of your sermons and some of your teachings and um, I, I found out how to get in touch with you because I wanted to ask you, are you, can you legally say those things? <laughs> are you allowed to preach that sermon? Until somebody comes to get me, yeah. Until the pulpit police show up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think these two pages are just so, well, they are Logos-like energy. Mm -hmm. And they give license for you to say, aha, I've mm -hmm. discovered the divine in this. And I think that's wonder. I wonder if Pentecostal Christians don't just go, yes, of course. You know, what else do you think the charisms are about? What else do you think it is to be filled with the spirit? But, except, you know, is when you accept that the Logos energy also animates you, me, us, we. So that's where the sermon ends up, I think, is... Uh, if you're with the, with it so far, you go on into the part where Jesus says, and you'll do greater things than me. Yeah. You get to be the Logos bearers. And that's when everybody says, no, could it just be you? I mean, like the people said to Moses when he, he when God came down and they said, no, you talk to us. Because when he talks to us, it's just way too scary. So yeah, I don't yeah. want to be the Logos. You be right. the Logos. Yeah. <laughs> Merton talks about how we can be so distracted by the cliche of religion that we fail ever to experience God as a living vitality in us calling us to create innovate and go out beyond a safe harbor and if that's the case then religion is all about ritual. Mm -hmm. And the Dalai Lama said the whole purpose of learning about formalities in Buddhism is so that you can go beyond the formalities. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who teach sometimes has taught in seminary, some other seminaries, and he says the most important 
segment of teaching prayer book and polity is teaching students when to have ecclesiastical disobedience. You can exercise ecclesiastical disobedience when you are familiar, this is a great segue into Thurman, when you get familiar with the sound of the genuine. And the sound of the genuine has just showed up to ask you to do something. Otherwise you couldn't conceive of that. Am I reading you now? Yeah, and as you've been talking all the way from the first time we were talking about energy, what occurs to me is again how much I, in the best of traditions, have been trained to look outward for the divine, outward. And see, when you switch to energy, there's no in and out anymore, is there? I mean, the energy of a single breath, is that in or out? I eat an apple, is it still the apple or is it me? You know, and so w when energy becomes part of it, it is scary, but it, it goes right through the skin Indeed. and relates the skin you know so that so that's uh there there's a way in which to allow that and to take a breath as you've said several times is to put god in a different place allow god to be in more yes yes more. yeah that's wonder mm -hmm. when the divine mystery has entered the apparently mundane i think that's mm -hmm. your phrase yeah, and I wish we could get Howard back, you know, to talk to us about the sound of the genuine, because he wasn't going to tell us what it was, because his sound and your sound and my sound, it's all the genuine, right? But, but, uh, but I, you know, I do think sometimes what I want to be the sound of the genuine is just what I want to do right now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, of course, of course. But, but I've, I've gotten old enough to learn, to learn more about that. It's, it's, that's the art of discernment, isn't it? I think. It is the art of discernment, um, which relates to another earlier conversation I had today. Yeah, about discerning the spirits, Ignatius of Loyola, saying you have to discern what's desolating, what's consolate, consoling, and then you have to understand the flip of that, because you can invent something that's consoling to your status quo and say, ah, right. God wants me to do that. And that's, that's what you're pointing to. I like to just take these breaths, uh, Barbara. While we're taking this breath, I do want to say to everybody who just tuned in and said, what the hell are they talking about the sound of the genuine? Okay, the sound of the genuine is a major central teaching in a famous speech by Howard Thurman to the graduating class of Spelman College. And interestingly enough, Barbara, he said he ends that speech by saying, now this is your homework. So there is work to do in all of this so that you will not be at the end of other people's strings that they are pulling. There's a lot at stake in that. So as much as I'd like to stay, I do want to go to that amazing uh, piece. So let me just, so this is just, just an amazing, 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 amazing piece. And I did write in the, I'll not ask you to find it. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor's point, and it is, John alone reminds us that the Logos is, in, is eternally being born. His story isn't set in the time of King Herod in the town six miles south of Jerusalem, 
It is set in the cosmos where the Logos has no beginning or end. This is much more difficult to imagine that the Logos has been coming into the world forever, spoken by the God whom no one has ever seen to make the divine energy and purpose known on earth. What kind of costume do you put on that? And is one outfit enough? <laughs> Thanks for that paragraph. The Logos has no beginning and no end. The creativity of the Logos is never spent. What a great book, by the way, everybody. I'm, I'm here plugging books today. Thank you. Now, let's go. And I've, I'm paying attention to the time. So this is another book that I um, said when Greg Ellison was my guest, that uh, it has now become a new important book in my library. Uh, if only for his introduction and Barbara's amazing essay, which I loved the name of, of it, Longing for Reunion with a Man I Never Met. Oh, so here we are. Um, finding just one place to read is tough, but but I do want to introduce the um, the idea of the really real. I've thought about that so much since I read this, and um, this part of the essay is about reading Luther Smith's work on Howard Thurman, which gave you a frame for what you were seeing in Howard Thurman, which was that he was a Christian mystic. Everything he said, wrote, taught, and did flowed from a single source, which was his direct and incontrovertible encounter with the divine. That is how he discovered the really real, which funded his courage to challenge the unreal in all of its guises. Un unjustice, I'm sorry, unjustness, unkindness, unreconciliation, unfreedom. This fresh focus helped me see how Thurman's life as an activist was nourished by his life as a contemplative. Just can't separate the two. No, and he's, um, he rescues me. I, when I started reading Howard Thurman, thanks to Greg Ellison for sending me back to do that. It was the same way I felt when I started reading Coleman Barks' Evocation of Rumi. Yes. It was just like this voice reached out to me over the centuries and grabbed my heart. I don't know if it was Coleman or if it was Jalaluddin Rumi, but Thurman did the same thing. Heschel does the same thing. Just this person who has gone on comes right smack back into me. and. And somehow Thurman's, I mean, his introversion, you know, his his contemplative nature, he fed the activist, but he wasn't he wasn't sufficiently an activist himself for some of his 
admirers who wanted him out on the front lines more. But but you know he's often called the one who who someone said he 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 taught us why he taught us why we were marching. He helped us understand why the really real the genuine that gives the freedom to yeah. do that. You and I were in another meeting recently with someone who said every time that that people went out to march, they didn't know if they'd come back. This may be the last time. This may be the last time. And you can't do that if you don't have some grounding in the genuine, I think. How would you ever have the courage to maybe go out for the last time? Well, that's the beauty of James Lawson, is he taught Diane Nash and John um, of blessed memory um to kind of turn it over and that wonderful story that john siegenthaler tells about calling diane nash and telling her that young lady you cannot get on that freedom riding bus because the president has said you can't and the attorney general has said you can't and she said but sir we're going to and he says but young lady do you i mean it's such mansplaining. Young lady, do you know that you could die? And she said, Mr. Sigathaler, do you know that we all signed our last wills and testaments last night? Wow. Wow. Now that's wonder. That's wonder. I've got chill bumps right now. That's wonder. Dangerous wonder. Yes. Dangerous wonder. Risking all wonder. That's one. I, I don't know that story. You just told me that story for the first time. It's an amazing, she's an amazing human being, Diane Nash. Mm -hmm. um, dangerous wonder. Let's not stop there. Let's not let that one go. I hadn't thought, and that's the, the genius of these conversations here, that they are real conversations. I hadn't thought about wonder and danger. But all of a sudden I thought of every kid who has gotten in touch with their true self, they may not need that, con that concept at all, but have announced that true self to their parents, mm -hmm. had to be in touch with that wonder that is dangerous. You know, mm -hmm. A kid I know who told his parents that he is not a girl. But they said it's a girl when she was born. Mm -hmm. My, mm -hmm. that's in touch with that wonder that's, I mean, when I told my, my dad I was leaving the Baptist church to become an Episcopal priest, um, that was almost as bad as my telling him that um, I was leaving Mercer University because, son, you have a good good paycheck there. And I was on staff. And when I said, I'm filing as a conscience subjector to war when I was a law student at Vanderbilt, you know, I see you breathing deeply, I'm breathing deeply. I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of parenting is about hollowing your kid out so that their true self can be your image of them rather than sitting back and discovering 
Gosh, when you talk about those things too, it occurs to me, it's one of those Escher loops. In other words, sometimes to own what is genuine in you, leaving Mercer, moving to another church, or mom, I'm not a girl, that kicks wonder into third, fourth, fifth gear, right? You're like right. It, it, those words come out of your mouth. It's not like the wonder precedes. The wonder is about to follow that because the whole yeah. world just changed with your owning that, with yeah. your saying that now everything's about to change. And and that's the dangerous wonder because there has to also be, I don't know what you tell me. I mean, I've had my own version of those, but a huge sigh of relief. I said it, I did it, but now what? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that, I love the distinction between Kairos and Kronos. And those moments that happen in right time, you don't know what the next chapter is. When it's a chronological thing, I'm going to do this, and then this will happen, and this will happen. But those Kairos moments, those right time moments, oftentimes they do happen right in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye right there. And you know, one thing we haven't talked about, and I know we're running out of time, but I'm, I am more aware than ever during this pandemic, first of all, that everyone of every age I know is more in touch with mortality than ever. But retirement, you know, whatever in the world I thought that word meant, it is liminal space. It is a, a, a time to rethink everything. It, it is a time of great wonder. And if one's lucky enough not to be hurting or dying, actively dying, heck, I even know some people actively dying who are deep in wonder and leading me deeper as well. So I even have to cross out that last sentence. But at any rate, there are bound to be a few people listening to us who are older people and, and who either are looking forward to or not to that very large transition before the last transition and wondering how close together they'll be and wondering what the one has to do with the other. And I'm here to tell you retirement has tons to do with the last, the last transition, because it's all about um, contemplating how well I'll do with not being so useful or necessary or, or even able to remember names. So we'll see. But, but, I, but I'm working on cultivating my wonder. I wanna be as curious about this part as I've been about everything that went before. So we'll see if I can do that. You're reminding me of a letter I received from um, a parishioner. And he had been, oh, the president of the World Parliament of World Religions. And he had been a um, seminary for, um, dean and all that stuff. And then they retired to a retirement place near Pasadena and started coming to church at, at at the place where I was. And um, after I had left, after I had retired, my first retirement, and before I flunked that retirement, he wrote me a letter and said, I am very excited about dying um, because I now have language for it. And it is the great immensity. And I'm going to the great immensity. And I received that, and he was gone to the great immensity within two weeks. Wow. Wow. Now that's, the, that's also the wonder of language, Barbara. I mean, you're, you're a genius at language. Language is a sacrament. When you find the right word or phrase that mm -hmm. kind of pulls the rug 
out of you or you know puts you on your butt that's a marvelous experience of wonder the naming the naming which opens up the way for the renaming and the the new naming again i love that what was his exact phrase i'm excited about dying yeah i'm excited about dying because now i understand it. it it is the great immensity I have a lang- I have language for it. It's the great immensity. Mm. I love that. I just I, heard someone talking about it as the great liftoff. The, the <laughs> liftoff. And 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 can you imagine? I mean, if you were in a space challenger liftoff, the excitement, the wonder, and the pee in your pants terror just has to be all going together. The liftoff, the great immensity, into the great immensity. So. We shouldn't talk much more after this. I really think we've sort of reached the apex here, but you're the boss. I think you're right. My only other question, was, but I think you've answered it, is uh, where are you finding wonder these days? Um, every single minute I wake up. Uh, this this year has slowed me down uh, in ways I, I consciously chose and stated and canceled things and and over and over again reached for it and it collapsed over and over again and this year has drawn me into a slower deeper much more relational friends I've never had time for friends never and I have friends this year I mean I just have friends and we sit around we don't do anything that's going to be a book you know we're not even collaborating on a published thing we're just hanging out so it, it it doesn't play well at all and it sounds terrible again while caskets are piling up other places but 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 wonder for me has just been being forced into a pace a rhythm a tempo an rpm that is allowing more of the luminous web to wrap around me every day so whatever comes next january might be a whole different thing i might go get that shot and boom there it goes i'm right back in the in the race again but for this moment i am so thankful to have that web wrapped around my legs a little bit because it has slowed me down enough to see julian's hazelnut maybe you know just walk around with a hazelnut or a sloppy dog or a shiny rooster or a bad horse. I've got a horse who's a bad horse. So mm. it, I, it's just been a, I, I am uh, in a, a place of having brought all my energy home for the first time in 40 years. And it is not so bad. I like it too. Will you answer your own question? Will you answer your own question? wonder right well, i mean your day just the day today you've had about six porpoises stick their heads up and say wonder to you today but what's no that that is the answer barbara i mean and i i literally you know i'm such a planner and i'm such a control freak and i have many other neuroses as well but i just get out ahead of grace all the time and I have Grace figured out about how Grace is going to show up in my life. And, you know, if you ask me, I'll tell you how Grace is going to show up in your life as well. But but um, I'm generous in that way. <laughs> and my retreat director is always saying to me, I go to the same retreat director in Haverford, Pennsylvania. She says, Ed, your problem is uh, that you're always ahead of Grace. And your challenge is to follow Grace. And that's 
that you're you're much more beautiful when you follow grace, but you're you're sweet and charming when you get out ahead of grace. Anyway, so I knew that at, at 68 I was going to retire. I had a great life in the church, and uh, you know, hoping I could go to Birmingham and just be grandparents around the pool. And then Richard Lee calls me from <laughs> St. Luke's and said, "We've got a job for you. We think it." fits you if you don't mind and he's so chipper and uh, so we take a look at it and it is the happiest I've ever been in my work life it's just stunning and it's because every day is like this another set of weirdnesses happen and I, I you know I have two more zoom uh, things before my day ends and I think that wonder will probably keep but it gets head above water. So yeah, my life is full of wonder. And I, think I love that. I think so you followed I, Grace. You yeah. followed Grace talk, talk to um, St. Luke's. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's the secret. Well, thank you, Barbara. This has been really wonderful. A short five minute long conversation. And the, uh, you've made my day and you filled it with wonder. Thank you. Oh. I feel the same way, and I just can't wait till I can hug you again. So that will happen. Give my love to Hope. Hello to everybody who's listening to us, because you're at a place I love dearly. It was part of my lift off into um, into a love of ministry. So, hello to everybody there also. That means a lot to St. Luke's, and love to Ed to your Ed. And thank you all for joining us. Have a great, yes. great day. Yeah, Barbara, say one more thing. Were you going to yes. say something else? Okay. I said yes. Yes, yes, yes. Have a wonderful end of Advent, winter solstice, Christmas. Bye-bye. <laughs>